Listener Production. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Every year in Australia, more than two and a half million surgeries are performed, with the majority of those being elective single day surgeries. If you've ever had your wisdom teeth removed or perhaps an appendix, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say you can pretty much expect the same thing when operation day rolls around. You walk through the hospital doors, buzzes and beeps echo through the hallway. You take a deep breath. The smell of antiseptic fills your nose almost immediately and that little butterfly in your stomach becomes a swarm. But that quickly fades away after some reassurance from your surgeon. You'll be walking out of here the very same day and be free to get on with the rest of your life. For most of us, that is exactly what happens too. You get on with your life. But what if, two weeks later, you get a call that not all of your wisdom tooth was removed? That you need to go back in for another surgery because they miss some of it? So you do. But this time those butterflies stick around a little longer and you can't help but lose just a little bit of confidence. The surgery happens and once again, you are sent home. But then you get another call. They missed some of the wisdom tooth again. For something like a tooth, you can understand why this chain of events would be pretty unlikely. A surgeon can clearly see if they have removed a whole tooth But what about when they're removing something a little bit harder to pinpoint than a tooth? Like cancer cells. This is the reality for many women needing breast-conserving surgery, or what's called a lumpectomy, to treat breast cancer. 25% of those undergoing the procedure will need to go back for a second, third, or even a fourth surgery to get cancers that were missed as the accuracy of the surgeon's incision and removal is at the mercy of what their hands can or cannot physically feel underneath the tissue. That's right, feel. Over 20,000 Australians will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year alone. And yet the most advanced tool in the surgeon's kit that can pinpoint the location and size of a tumour is the fingertip. Which, if you've ever tried to thread a needle before, you'll know it's not always the most precise instrument. But what if the surgeon's touch had superpowers and was able to detect and image cancer cells on a microscopic level when you're in that surgery? Groundbreaking technology from the team at OncoRes Medical is doing just that. Hi, I'm Zoe Callister-Hakel from Doctors On Call and welcome to Beyond the Medicine Cabinet. My name's Ash. I'm a 40-year-old graphic designer and... Yeah, I'm obviously from Scotland, you'll tell by the accent. I moved to Australia 2008, met my now husband, and yeah, life was pretty good up until 2020. <laughs> tell me about what sort of happened to you in 2020. In April, we were in lockdown. I'd seen the doctor just before the lockdown happened because I felt a lump in my breast, so I kind of thought it's probably nothing. I think a lot of people do, especially at my age. There's no history of breast cancer for me. But I thought, I'll go and get it checked out anyway because I was going to see the doctor for something else. She felt it and said, you know, it's probably just a hormonal thing and it'll go away in a 
in a month's time. You know, like it, it was part of your cycle. But why not? Let's just get an ultrasound on it. And I'm so glad that she did because during ISO with masks on everything, I went to get the ultrasound done. And during that ultrasound, that's when everything changed. Like the mood in the room, you know, when people go quiet and then I'm just going to go and get someone else. And you're thinking, that's just not right. <laughs> yeah. Um, my husband was out in the car park because he couldn't come in because of COVID. It was the first experience of being treated in a hospital situation with that those rules in place um, and masks and everything. So, yeah, it was strange. Eventually they called me back in and said, any chance you can come back tomorrow for a biopsy? So we went back and the, they were so kind, the people doing the biopsy. I remember just that in particular, just how lovely and kind to me they were. And I felt also that that was nice, but it was a sign that they knew there was something serious going on. So, mm. Can you take me through the biopsy procedure? What's involved? It's just a really sharp, like, sort of snapping noise, I guess, a cl- clicking noise as they, take, they sort of punch in and take a little bit of the tissue I think is basically a, a large needle that it goes in and then punches it's like a hole punch I guess that's how I would kind of <laughs> that's how it. I've imagined it yeah. yeah like a long sort of hole punch and they take that and I think what they take is so small when you're not really used to being in that medical environment and you imagine when you feel something like how big it is especially when you're feeling it under tissue I had this idea in my head of what size my tumour was when the pathology comes back, it's much smaller than you think it's going to be. So when they're taking these biopsies as well, it's just probably the smallest amount that they take, mm. but it feels bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried to push it out of my mind after that. I really just thought, this is going to be fine. And I've, I think there was definitely moments where my brain went to the what ifs, but generally I was quite confident that it was going to be okay. I just couldn't see it going the other way. Uh, maybe because of a lack of family history, I don't know, but mm. even though I'd had these moments that felt quite like strange and sinister and like, oh, oh things that the mood's changed, I still was feeling that it would go in my favour. After two weeks of waiting anxiously, Ash got a call from her doctor. So remember when she called me, she said, have you got anyone with you? And she said, well, I'm really sorry to tell you that it is, it's bad news that it's cancer. At that stage, the biopsy had showed my cancer to be a grade two. But the good news is you've caught it really early, small, and it's the, the test, the pathology had come back to confirm what type of breast cancer it was. So I had a, what they call a hormone positive cancer. And one of the reasons they, they tell you, well, it's very treatable cancer is because they can obviously deprive your body of those hormones. There are around 2.3 million women will be diagnosed with breast cancer every year. It is the most commonly diagnosed cancer globally. So whilst it's only uh, just the most common cancer, it doubles the next cancer in terms of the dollars required to treat it. That was Dr Catherine Giles. She's the CEO and Managing Director of OncoRes Medical and they're developing an imaging technology which evaluates tissue microarchitecture at a scale and resolution comparable to histology, which could, you know, drastically change patient outcomes. So having watched firsthand someone's journey with cancer, it, it really did make me think that our technology, not only in terms of 
physically getting all the cancer out to enable them the best chance of recovery, but also mentally giving them the best chance to fight was, yeah, it made me realise the importance of it. So when most people hear, you know, the big C word, cancer, where does your, where does your mind go after that? Do you hear anything else? Not really. No, I, I mean, I can picture exactly where I was in my house when the, the call happened, I remember. Just, yeah, just that sort of like, this isn't happening, this isn't real, like she's just said that. I was latching onto those positives and in a weird way, it felt like, oh, this isn't, it can't, it's not serious. She said cancer, but it can't be like bad cancer because I just wasn't ready to accept that, I guess. Mm. And I didn't really understand at that point how long a haul it was going to be as far as the treatment that I would have. So what was the prognosis and the treatment at that point in time? At that point in time, the prognosis seemed to be bad news, but great news. We've caught it early and we think surgery and radiotherapy and done. That was still quite scary, but it was also like, oh, thank goodness. They're not talking mastectomy. They're not talking chemo. Fantastic. Mm. (laughs) Like my GP only had so much information. It was really meeting with my surgeon that I started to better understand the picture and what lay ahead for me. So I'm Christabel Saunders. I'm a, a, a breast surgeon mainly at um, here in, in Melbourne currently. I'm James Stewart, Chair of Surgery at Royal Melbourne Hospital. But up until recently, I've been in Perth where I was Professor of Surgery at the University of Western Australia and a breast surgeon there. I'm also Chief Medical Officer on CoRes and probably got a few other hats on as well that I, I won't talk about today. So I'm a surgeon, researcher, teacher, administrator. If you hadn't already guessed, Christabel was Ash's surgeon. They went into the surgery hoping Ash could avoid chemotherapy altogether. But the outcome of the lumpectomy would ultimately determine that. As a surgeon, Christabel, would you mind taking me through what a typical lumpectomy would look like from your point of view? Yeah, so after meeting the the patient, usually a lady, and getting all of her imaging, uh, you kind of get in your mind's eye exactly where the tumour is on her mammogram and ultrasound or MRI. You examine the patient, that might give you an idea. Then when the patient comes to the operating theatre, they have a general anaesthetic. The primary tools would be your scalpel, your cautery machine, and, you know, just the basic sort of, sort of surgical tools. They don't use many additional things during the surgery. If you can feel the tumour, then you usually make an incision either over the tumour or somewhere where you can get the nicest cosmetic result. And you go in and really you're using your fingers to feel where that tumour is. And um, it's not a very precise art, obviously, to know exactly how much you've removed. Some breast cancers aren't palpable, so they you can't feel them. And also, or they're very small. So what happens for those women is they'll have a localization procedure prior to their breast conserving surgery, which is either the hook wire, they'll be able to image the breast and they insert a small wire with a hook in the day before surgery. And the woman's got to have that hook protrudes out of the skin, it's taped down, they've got to take that around with them for 24 hours. So we cut the tumour out um, and you sort of have a lump of tissue, which we often will x-ray in the operating theatre, that tissue. We have a little x-ray box in the theatre. And that'll give us some idea of if, you know, the tumour is centred with a, we usually aim for about a centimetre margin of what appears to be normal tissue around it. We know that often little tiny microscopic bits, tendrils of tumour will go off into the into the fat around the tumour. 
So there's been a lot of, of work done over decades now to show that, you know, if you get a centimetre of what looks on X-raying that specimen clear, then you're less likely to, to have those tendrils close to the edge. So it's, it, you know, that's all it is really. It's just a, a guesstimate. In breast cancer that we're targeting first, there are no tools that the surgeon can use to identify cancer that's still inside the patient at that micro scale. And they're still relying on their sense of, of sight and touch to determine that they've removed all of the cancer. It's not surprising that cancer is missed. And this is only discovered a week later when the pathologist looks at the tissue that they've removed under the microscope. I've had surgeries in the past where you you know, my tonsils, things like that when I was yeah. younger. Um, and you come out and then afterwards when you come around, the the surgeon comes to see you and tells you that everything went well and off you go, way home. That's, you know, they don't need to see you again. It's not like that with um, surgery for cancer because obviously anything that's cut out needs to go be tested. You have to wait for those results to come back. You have to get another appointment, go and see the specialist and find out your results. There's a lot of sleepless nights just lying there with you the what-ifs. Ash was looking forward to the recovery, but before she could focus on healing, she was faced with some more bad news. There was two bits of bad news. The good news was it wasn't my lymph nodes. The bad news was not only did they not get clear margins, but when they tested the full tumour in the lab, that's when the grade changed. So that was the point that they told me it was actually a grade 3 tumour. And basically that's when I was told, so you will need chemo. Christabel, how much cancer being left behind is a problem? Is it, can you quantify it in cells? Well, that's a very good question and I don't think anybody can. Um, you know, clearly when you want, when you aim to surgically remove a tumour, and for most solid cancer, surgery is the first line of treatment. When you aim to remove a tumour, you want to remove it all. But the honest truth is that the vast majority of patients will have other treatments apart from surgery, such as radiotherapy, such as chemotherapy or other drug treatments. So some of those may mop up a few cells that are left behind. The honest truth is we don't know. So you've just got this news that one side of the sample that they took out of your breast doesn't have any healthy cells in it. Yeah. How are you feeling about that? I honestly was thinking about things like I run my own business. How am I, I've got to take more time off work. I'm still in quite a lot of pain from the first surgery so there's that as well. It's like, oh, they're going to cut me up again, you know? Yeah. I didn't, it was, I was blindsided. That's how it felt. And it felt like a kind of, this should be a moment of being happy. So around 30% of women in Australia will have cancer that's missed and have to return for further surgery. And in the US, this is around between 17 and 35%. But the scary thing is it's actually between zero and 91%. It's very, very much surgeon dependent. So some surgeons have a very low re-excision rate and others have up to 91%. The honest truth is that 50% of women actually throw the towel in and say, do a mastectomy. You know, I don't even want to think about having another breast-conserving surgery. I've had enough. I'm too worried now that there might be something left behind. You can't promise me there's not. Take the whole breast away. Some women will either need or want to have a mastectomy for their breast cancer, in which case if we can, we try to think about offering them breast reconstruction there are different kinds of breast reconstruction. If we use implants, that has its own potential downsides. But much more commonly, of course, is that, you know, things don't ever look the same afterwards. They don't feel the same. It's not your breast. Um, there's much higher risk of infection and, you know, having other problems with the implant. 
or if you choose to have some of your own tissue. We often use bits of fat, for example, from the tummy to make a new breast, but that's a really big operation. You know, that can take all day, many, many weeks to recover, and again, occasionally can go wrong with consequences. It's not only the putting your body through having to go through another surgery where you have more risk of infection, more risk of bad cosmetic outcome, more risk of bleeding, but it's also the loss of confidence in your treatment pathway just after you've been diagnosed most of the time. So it's the anxiety that it creates for patients and their families also really significant. My husband and I have learned to not go in complacent to get results. Not that we were particularly, but more than anything, I'm going in going, what bad news am I going to get now? Because it felt like that every stage. I've been told something that wouldn't be that bad and then I get the results and it's worse. As you can imagine, Asha's body was tired after the second surgery. She was also going through chemotherapy and hormone treatment at the same time. Her confidence had taken a hit. But with Christmas in the air, she couldn't help but feel hopeful. The good news is they got clear margins, so fantastic. The bad news is oh, no. <laughs> that when they tested what they removed in the lab, they found a second tumour that they didn't even know was there. So they'd accidentally cut out a second tumour. I've been watching my scars heal. And just think that they were going to cut me open again. It's just like, really, like, I can't believe it. And I remember it was, like, early December. I'm just thinking, Christmas, I'd really, when you're going through um, the treatment for cancer as well, you focus on these little things that are going to keep you going. And, And one of them was my hair starting to grow back, Christmas with the family, all these little things that you focus on. And then I'm thinking, start of December and they're talking about more surgery like how is that going to impact um, my Christmas I know it sounds mm. so silly but like it just was it's not silly like, not again it's not silly because it's peace of mind you know that's what you yeah. want when you're going through this you want to be reassured that you're going to be okay absolutely and I think that's maybe one of the reasons I was happy t- to do it because I'll do anything to know that this is gone and I don't and it's never coming back Surgery is still the foundation of a curative treatment for cancer. And in many situations, surgeons are still relying on fairly rudimentary tools to help them make the decisions around whether or not they've got all the cancer out. Remember, 2.3 million women globally will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year. So if 20 to 25% of those having a lumpectomy need to come back for another operation, that's an awful lot of people. So... It was a big problem and we were looking at ways to solve it and this is one way that we hope, we haven't proven it yet, but we hope we'll be able to solve that problem. What Christabel is referring to there is an Oncores medical device we heard a little bit about earlier. Christabel helped develop the technology and Catherine, who discovered the project as an investment manager, brought funding in to make it possible. What we've created is a technology called QME, which is similar to ultrasound, but it uses light waves instead of sound waves. So it can see at a micro scale and it sees about two millimetres into the tissue. What we've been interested in doing is, as you know, when when you're trying to look inside a human body, we often use x-rays, don't we? We've all, you know, know about chest x-rays or, or we use ultrasound as well. And I think most of us know about that, you know, when you look at, look for a, at a baby, for example. But rather than using those very 
different kind of techniques. We're using normal light waves to try to do that. And a bit like ultrasound, they bounce off tissues of different density and can give you a picture. So we were interested to see if we could differentiate using this particular technology, the difference between a a little area with cancer and a normal area of tissue. Pretty much what our, our technology does is it creates maps of tissue stiffness at a microscale. So we know cancer is stiffer than tissue. That's why the surgeon can use their finger and to feel for cancer. And cancer is stiffer than healthy tissue all the way from the single cell up to the, the lump, which is sort of the theory behind our technology. So a high-tech probe capable of detecting cancer cells on a microscopic level. But how does it work? Our device will have three components to it. So it has a workstation, So sort of if you think of an ultrasound cart, it has a probe that attaches to that. We would use this very simple probe device, which is sort of like a large pencil, I suppose. And you insert that into when the patient is still asleep on the operating table and you have that, that little cavity open. You insert it in and you, you, you may have an idea of what side of that cavity you're a bit worried about. So you've done the X-ray and it looks a little bit like the lump is eccentric on the X-ray. So it's sitting closer to one side of where you've removed it. So you could put the probe over that side or indeed you could run it all the way around the cavity. And and from that, we'll get a picture on the screen which will allow us to see whether that tissue underneath where your probe is sitting and you you put it down for a a second or two at each each site you're looking at, whether that tissue looks like normal fatty breast or or breast tissue, you know, so you go, that's absolutely fine, can't see any tumour there. Or you might get a red flag, you know, you, you push down with your probe on one bit of that cavity and it looks a bit red and unpleasant on the screen. So you can just come in and take a little sliver of that area and send that off to the pathologist as an extra additional uh, margin of tissue to give us that confidence that we've removed it all. And you can put your probe back onto there and make sure that now oh, it's gone from red to blue. That all looks fine now. So we've shown that that technology is 96% accurate at detecting cancer in breast cancers that have just been removed from the patient, so on the bench shop. We've then put that technology into a handheld probe and we've scanned 21 women inside the surgical cavity. That was led by Christabel as well. And we've shown that our technology can produce these QME images inside the surgical cavity. In the developments of this device, it's actually, it's it's quite fun and interesting really because we're looking at lots of different ways that we can get that information. Um, Because after all, all the probe is doing is it's taking lots of little data points and then the clever engineers are making those on the screen look like whatever you want. So it can look colour-coded or it can look like a kind of geographical map. And I think many of you have seen those ultrasound pictures which are lots of bits of grey and then suddenly a baby pops up. But, you know, the old ones of of, um, years ago, maybe when you were a baby, your mum's ones didn't look like very much. Now they're sort of 3D, aren't they? And you can sort of see all features in the face. So we're trying to make it more sophisticated like that. We also might even make some little noises that go with it. So it alerts you, you know, as a high-pitched tone alerts you that you're getting close to tumour, which is something we actually use that in another device called a sentinel node biopsy probe. Um, So there are a number of ways we may be able to design the device and customise it to what the surgeon, you know, feels most comfortable for them, the ability to detect cancer. And remember, we're detecting not big lumps of cancer that you can otherwise feel, but tiny little microscopic bits. So we're almost adding, you know, I'd run my finger around that cavity and we're adding to my finger an extra level of detail that the human body can't yet do. 
The surgeon's sense of touch is a decision-making tool across surgery, broader than cancer surgery. Having something that sort of gave them superpowers of touch to give them more information and make better decisions just seemed so valuable. Being a young woman diagnosed with cancer, our breast tissue is just so different from an, an older woman with breast cancer. That's why a mammogram was useless for me. Um, the ultrasound picked up one tumour but didn't pick up this other one. If Oncorez had existed when I was getting my surgery, then I believe that I would have only needed the one round of surgery and I also think I would have received all those results a lot sooner. They would have known a lot more, a lot more quickly. And as I realised with cancer treatment, time is of the essence. It's the difference between it spreading... We always try to do the surgery that's going to give the best outcome and the least harm. And this is really, I think, giving more women that opportunity to have just a lumpectomy, a very straightforward single-day procedure rather than a much more prolonged procedure which has got more surgical risk but also has significant impacts on your body image, your quality of life, your sexuality. All those things are important to us as women. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's incredible that that's something that you can work to preserve as well with something like this technology. You can avoid cutting out more than you need to and then you can avoid, I suppose, hopefully in the long run, going back and trying to, you know, reopen up that whole situation again. Do you feel comfortable relying on this type of technology well, to we- do your surgical work? We are at the early stage of the journey with Oncorez at the moment. So we, we've developed a technology which we know can distinguish at a cell level cancer cells from normal cells. But the real proof of the pudding is over the next 12 months where we're going to be running a clinical trial to see if we can not only prove that this actually does work with the, the newest generation of the probe, but also that it doesn't just work in, in one hospital setting and just with me as the surgeon or the few of my colleagues, that this is something that you know any surgeon can use anywhere. So whether you're having your operation in, in Wagga Wagga, in Perth, in Melbourne, or indeed in San Francisco, you know this is a technology that can be used and can be effective and improve your outcomes. So how are you making this technology? Where, where are you getting all your equipment from? How, how does it happen? So that has evolved over over the development path of the project. So initially we did a, uh, got a lot of the components from offshore and then assembled them ourselves. That didn't quite work out how we had hoped. And as a risk mitigation, we thought, well, let's, let's see if we can make it here ourselves. And I'm really proud to say that the disposable element that is going to go into our trial in the coming weeks is 100% manufactured in Perth, which is also a great proof of concept to say that we will be able to do scale manufacturing of this device in Australia, which is something that as a team we're really passionate about doing as well. I love that. And I love how you've really rethought the way you could go about doing this whole thing, you know, because I think that is the common misconception. A lot of it has to be manufactured elsewhere or innovation has to happen um, not in Australia, it has to come from somewhere else. So not only are you a gun in the venture capital world, but you've literally been in the trenches, in surgeries, seeing what these women are going through. And so you jumped two feet in and decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, come into this company and take the bull by the horns and try and do my best to, to, to make it better for women. 
Yeah, well, I guess so. That's um, uh, It was a bit of a slow burn at the start. So uh, I was working for the Venture Capital Fund, Brandon Capital Partners, and my role at Brandon Capital Partners was to go find cool technology that we could transform into great products to improve patient outcomes. This, though, was love at first sight for me. So I worked for three years with um, Professor Christabel Saunders to develop an investment case around it. And then Brandon invested $6 million into the company and founded the company because prior to that, it was a research project at the university. And then it was about a year later that I moved across as CEO. I feel like I'm in such a unique position right now because it actually is so rare to hear from women in venture capital and the decision-making process around that. And it's a bit of a common thing where sometimes, you know, femtech startups or research don't get as much funding just purely because the people in those decision-making positions don't necessarily can understand those problems, which is fair enough because you sort of would probably invest in what you know. The landscape changed so much in five years. So five years, five years, six years, seven years ago when we were crafting the investment case, I think there's a lot of rhetoric around breast cancer that, you know, we're getting so much better at treating it. The survival outcomes are so much better. So I think initially when, you know, we were looking at this, I was asked, is breast cancer really where you should be? And uh, absolutely yes, for so many reasons, for the reasons that the women really need us. There's so little available to surgeons in breast cancer that having something like this will make a real difference. And luckily, we are getting a lot more femtech funding. So it's it's great that there is some, but the amount of money that there is to invest in femtech is not enough, not even close yet. I mean, I still have a lot of scar tissue and it can be quite painful. It can limit some of my movement sometimes. I did get physio for that, but it was scar tissue and then it was operated on again and then it was operated on again. So I can't even imagine what it looks like mm. in there. It's um, It's been through a lot. Mm. <laughs> so having something like Oncorez Medical means that other women don't have to have, you know, that type of concern with their scarring. They could just Absolutely. go in once and yeah. have the surgery. And my scarring is, in the scheme of things, it's pretty minimal. But I can't imagine, I mean, it would have been fantastic if it was just the, after, remember after the first surgery looking at my scarring thinking, what an amazing job Christabel had done. Yeah. and what a, She is a fantastic surgeon. But yeah, when you have to keep going in and the same, um, you know, cutting the same healed tissue again, it's just not ideal. Yeah, so I really hope that, I hope I never have to get any further surgery. But if I do in the future, I really hope that Uncle Rez technology is available to me. Um, and I really hope that for other women, it's, it's made available to them as quickly as possible. The real key, the real kind of aha moment, I think, in this technology was when we realised in some ways it doesn't matter if the pathologist tells us that tumour is right up to the margin of where we've removed it, you know, a week later. What's really important, is there anything left in that patient? Is there anything left in that late? And that's what you want to know as a patient. It's fine to know what's in the bucket, but you want to know what's left in you. And if you, could, if we could use something, a probe that we could use in the operating theatre after we've removed the cancer and check inside the in this case, the breast, it could be another organ, but in this case, the breast, and say there is no more tumour left there, then that's a very reassuring thing. What do you think the future of this technology looks like? Yeah, so like I said um, previously, touch is a key decision-making tool for surgeons, so whether it's in cancer surgery or not. 
We, alongside the QME technology, we also have a, another pipeline technology at an earlier stage of development called optical palpation. So instead of using the optical coherence tomography, which is our sort of image capture technology in QME, we use cameras. And those cameras can mean that our probes could be wireless, low cost, low profile and used for robotic and keyhole surgery. So we see a future where our imaging technologies that amplify or supercharge the surgeon's sense of touch are used as a key part of a surgeon's kit bag. Um, so starting with breast cancer, expanding across cancers, and we've got some a number of surgeons that are super excited about the potential of our technology in prostate cancer to help with nerve sparing surgery, liver cancer and uh, lung cancer as well. And then also, you know, into robotic surgery and keyhole surgery as well, where you've the surgeons lost their, the information that they get from their sense of touch because they can't touch anything. So we can give them back that information through our imaging technologies. What advice would you give to other people in a similar position to yourself, who's maybe from a little bit of a clinical background, um, interested in medicine or health, but wants to move into the medical tech space? What, what would you say? absolutely go for it. When you listen to, when I listen to podcasts about other people who've done stuff, I always think, oh, it's, you know, maybe it's unattainable or they've got something that I don't have or, you know, that's not true. Definitely go for it. Figure out what can you bring to the idea? Who else do you need to get into your team? Because it's a definitely a team, a team sport and you need a whole bunch of different people with different personalities, different skills and experience to come together to create a medical product, which is also part of the joy of it. And yeah, go for it. I mean, we do all this to try and, you know, improve the outcomes for people like Ash, you know, and you, you see, you get to know your patients and you see them sitting in front of you and they're not just patients, they're, you know, they're women and men and families and daughters and mothers as well. So that's why we do it. Ash is doing well and has gained confidence in her treatment plan again. The work Catherine and Christabel are doing with OncoRes has the potential to make one of the most challenging experiences a person can go through, cancer, a little bit easier and may also just solve the problem of unnecessary and painful repeat surgeries for patients like Ash in the future. Beyond the Medicine Cabinet is a listener production brought to you in partnership with Kuyong Group. Hosted by me, Zoe Callister-Hakewell, producer is Kelsey Menzies, audio by Kelly Falston, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.